0: Good afternoon. Welcome to our continuing educational webinar series. I am Catherine Short, Manager of Virtual Education for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business. A hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility and we help you manage every aspect of a compliance program and our training library provides hundreds of modules that are easy to assign and track. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Raymond Ribble, CEO and founder at Sphere Inc., a market-leading compliance analytics cybersecurity solution addressing HIPAA compliance, state privacy laws, and ePHI security threats with us today. Ray leads the Sphere organization in addressing healthcare privacy and security issues surrounding the detection of unauthorized access to ePHI and delivering meaningful analysis to healthcare organizations in preventing ePHI data breaches. Ray and Sphere Inc. remain active in a number of many nationally recognized PHI advocacy groups such as HIMSS, MGMA, and HCCA. He regularly presents at seminars and webinars contributing to the ongoing awareness to accurately identify internal and external access threats to healthcare data in today's digital landscape. With over 30 years in the systems technology industry, Ray began his career at Northrop Aerospace, working on AI-based flight solutions. He furthered his education at UCLA in Asian studies, which led him to enhancing his career in Japan and China, where he focused his IT consulting business, focused on systems software development across multiple industries. Prior to founding Sphere Inc., Ray's company played lead played leadership roles in the high-tech program, assisting with over 2,000 provider groups across Southern California, and attesting to meaningful use. During this critical migration to the EHR systems, he became acutely aware of healthcare's shortcomings in monitoring access to ePHI and founded Sphere Inc to develop to deliver an easy to use and affordable analytics solution based on AI technologies. Before we begin I would like to mention at First Healthcare Compliance we strive to serve as a trusted resource for compliance professionals and every month we strive um, to celebrate their hard work and dedication with our compliance super ninja recognition. Today, our team is turning the spotlight on Mika Lantz, front office manager at Mountain Ridge Pediatrics. Mika says what she enjoys most about working there is interacting and forming relationships with our patients and their families. Congratulations, Mika. Our team is honored to have the privilege of working with you. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We'll address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your Paycom and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your Paycom certificate will come directly from Paycom, and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There's no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. So, Ray, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. It's always a true pleasure.
1: It's great to be back, and it's wonderful to be with you again today. Thank you. So, um, it's okay for me to go ahead and get started, yes?
0: Yes, go ahead.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, thank you for entertaining me once again. Uh, as uh, Catherine introduced me, I'm Ray Ribble with Sphere Inc. We are a, uh, a compliance analytics and, and cybersecurity organization working together with healthcare companies across the United States. <clears throat> Today what I'd like to do for you is take a very practical approach, as the title says, to something that we've become uh, familiar with, which is the safe harbor law. Uh, so. Since we started down this path of meaningful use, adopting EHRs, implementing digital technologies, we've exposed ourselves to new risks associated with doing so. And in that, we now are worried about phishing, we're worried about unauthorized access to PHI. The old days of locking the door and turning on an alarm system are gone. And so we have all these new threats and these threats are in the cloud. Uh, These threats are coming in the forms of bots and individuals who don't belong in our information and all I'd like to do is kind of highlight some of those issues, bring them to your attention, and give you some practical approaches in terms of what can you do to prevent it and how do you stay in the game, not necessarily ahead of the game. Uh, so with that, let me get started for you. Um, first and foremost, uh, I need to point out that I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a healthcare lawyer. Uh, the uh, Catherine and her team can do a great job of introducing you to, to people uh, that. And if you have questions, or if I step on any toes in terms of the information I uh, I present here, I apologize up front for that. But I want to make sure everybody understands where I'm coming from. Um, how did I get here? Uh, Catherine mentioned it in my introduction. Um, many years ago, now it's 11 years ago already. Uh, we got started by bidding on and becoming a partner with the regional extension center here in Los Angeles, California, and really Southern California, High Tech LA, and Uh, CalOptima in Los Angeles and Orange County uh, were two of the largest recs in the United States. We won the contract to work together with them and help to bring meaningful use and the whole uh, moving from paper to digitally-based electronic record systems uh, to to be. We did over 2,000 implementations. And during that period of time, um, what we found is not one single organization implemented any hardcore established cybersecurity EPHI-based solutions. I'm trying to pick my words carefully here. It's not that they didn't care. It's not that they weren't aware of those issues. It's that we rolled out digital technology so fast that there weren't a lot of solutions available for them to wrap around that anyways. In fact, there were none, uh, very, very few. So you improvised and we worked together with our organizations to help them to improvise. Most of it was, you know, uh, regular and appropriate under the HIPAA guidelines. And so we said, Hey, look, worst case scenario, we build a spreadsheet. We go in, we look at users, we look at data, we monitor what people are doing, but you need to be aware of what's happening within your organization and then work with your IT partner, whether that's an internal organization or an external organization to protect your data as it comes and goes from your organization. You may be working with a larger healthcare organization on the outside world, or just working within your own sphere of influence uh, within your company. (laughs) Excuse me. So that's kind of my background. We went from the high tech, uh, Fusion Systems was my company at that time. Um, We ultimately developed a solution which we call Sphere, and today is not to talk about Sphere, but Sphere was the outcome and it's really how I became better educated about the issues that we're going to talk about today. I always like to begin my presentations with the data from the IBM Ponemon Institute. Um, I think what they do is great. It's one of the Bibles that I work by on a year-to-year basis to understand the cost of a data breach. Uh, because this is what impacts our clients and impacts you the most, is if an event were to occur, um, I have cybersecurity insurance, I've taken all of these measures, I've done my best to be compliant. But if it were to happen, well, what's what's the impact to my organization? And I'm going to show you how you mitigate some of these numbers. But as you can see, the average clinic that has a major breach based on this report, the cost was $8.13 million. Um, If you take a moment and say, what is our coverage for our cybersecurity breach right now? Do we have coverage? A and B, if we have coverage, what are our what are our boundaries? What what are what are the parameters that we're operating within? And I would be surprised to find many organizations that exceed $5 million. Does that mean you're gonna run out and, and double it to $10 million? No, because you nor I could afford to do that. Uh, what you can do is you can take the measures that we're gonna talk about today in order to mitigate some of these issues and therefore put yourself in a position that if in the worst case scenario, This were to happen, that it would be nowhere close to that $8.13 million. Another way to calculate it, and you'll see that at the top of the second column there, $499 per patient is the average cost when you have that breach. So it's a different way of getting to that $8.13 million. Um, And you could just say, okay, how many files do we have in our system that if somebody were to install a ransomware product and have access to all of our records then times 499, what does that equal? And that gives you some idea of where your exposure's at within your organization. The hospitals will go crazy, large clinics will be worried, and small uh, practices will be saying, wow, that's a lot of money. Um, Look, it's not gonna happen, and I can show you how to prevent it to the the best of my my capability here uh, today, and let's talk about that. So the Safe Harbor Law, was put in place It began as a different, as a bill. And I'm going to go into the history of that. But it mitigates a covered entity's exposure if and when a event occurs, such as unauthorized access or somebody uh, installing uh, ransomware and basically making your data unavailable to your organization. Now, the Safe Harbor Law only applies if you've taken the steps in order To make it work and so i'm probably going to say and talk about this at least three or four times in this presentation because i believe it's that important and i'll tell you right up front none of this matters if you haven't done the things that i'm talking about and you should have been doing them for at least 12 months and probably should have been doing it since you uh, went through meaningful use and attested to the high tech program many many years ago you know real quick did you do your security risk assessment uh in 2022 Are you thinking about doing your security risk assessment in 2023? Do you have a place in your office where you can reach back and grab all of that data and show an auditor? Let's say you get sued by some third party because the patient accuses you of having exposed their data. How do you go about physically with documentation proving that you took all of the steps necessary to prevent that from happening and you feel confident that it didn't happen within your organization? So again, you mitigate the possibility of a major reward by showing that you took the steps in order to prevent that. And so that's documenting, that's having a record, and of course that's training your staff to make sure that they understand what's going on too. So um, everything that I talk about isn't just about yourself, but it's also the people that you work with within your group and making sure you educate them on these issues. I hope that's clear. And as you can see in the slide I'm talking about, you have to have at least 12 months of information. So the history of this goes back to 2020. Congress passed House Resolution 7898. So, for a long time, that's what it was called. That's what we were looking at. It amends the High Tech Act, which was where I got my start in the industry, and many of you became exposed to EHR technology. It incentivizes cybersecurity best practices. So, do I have to do everything right? No, you do not. You have to provide best efforts. So, when you sit down, every year with the organization that does your security risk assessment. And if that's you, then make sure you bring in somebody else on the team who has a a different set of eyes than yourself. But let's say you bring in a third-party organization to do your security risk assessment. When you do your action plan, when you do your gaps and vulnerabilities, you should look at everything that you've done and said, hey, look, have we done the best that we could do given our organization, our budget, our capabilities? It doesn't mean you have to do everything. But... It means, have we done the best that we can do? Have we improved the products, upgraded where we can upgrade, replaced where we need to replace, and educate everywhere that we can educate our staff so that we're knowledgeable of HIPAA rules, regulations, and as things change in the market, whether it's email or phishing or ransomware, that my staff that are working together with me are aware of these issues and taking time and care in order to protect that data because we don't wanna have a breach. So ultimately that got passed on January 5th, 2021. It became public law 116321, and that became the safe harbor law. Uh, As you can see, major organizations here in the United States were behind this from the very beginning. They worked together with Congress and various uh, uh, groups in order to basically flush that out and figure out what was gonna be the best uh, scenario. And, And I really feel like this is something that helps organizations, and, and going back to that third bullet point, can incentivize you. I, too often when I go to market, people say, well, why do I need to do this? Why do I need to put this money into these measures and purchase this product or you know, teach my staff these things? It seems like a waste of time. Nobody's ever going to come in. HIPPA-SHMIPPA, I don't need to be worried about this stuff. You do need to be worried, and, and being complacent is a really bad thing. Um, the bad guys are out there, and quite honestly, mid-sized and small-sized, healthcare organizations are the most vulnerable to these attacks. And you might be saying to yourself or when you talk with your friends in the industry, they'll say, well, we've never been breached. Uh, And what I will say to everybody is, how would you know? How would you prove that you've never been breached? Prove that to me. Because if you don't have anything in place that's monitoring, if you don't have any measures in place to identify that an employee internally or somebody from the outside is coming in and doing these things, then how do you know you've never been breached? And that's the worst case scenario for our whole industry is I think there's so much we don't know, but um, you can protect yourself and you can do things to improve the environment that you work in. So there are three specific impacts that I'd like to talk about where you can prove that. Um, let's mitigate those fines uh, so that if there is a civil case or if there is a case brought against you from OCR that you have documented everything within your organization that you could um, in order to show the auditors and to show the investigators that you have done your best to protect that data. Um, Give you an example of that. You should make sure that when you do your security risk assessments, that all of the updates that you implement as part of that SRA, you have somewhere on there, you denote that this was done in accordance with safe harbor law. Okay. Small thing to do, very quick, and and as you do that in the years going forward, update that too. So um, I've instructed many clients to add that as a footnote on the pages as they go through and update their policies and procedures, is to make sure that they're identifying where they have made improvements. So maybe I implemented an email encryption system three years ago, and I have this great 36-month track record, so I feel like, well, I'm good, I'm mitigated, okay. This year, when you do your SRA, or maybe you just finished your SRA in 2022, go back there and have somebody just make sure that on everything that we did, that we changed, that we touched, let's put an an, uh, addendum in there to just show that we did this in accordance with the Safe Harbor Law. So that if a third party comes in and examines that information for us, they can quickly ascertain that our organization is on, on the ball and we're getting things done. What we're looking for, my second point, is favorable termination of the audit. Um, We want them to be able to look at this and say, look, these guys did everything they were supposed to do, and quite honestly, the breach happened anyways. Um, Are you at fault? You can't prevent it. If the bad guys decide that they want to get into your system, there are multiple ways that they can do that. As long as you've shown that you took best efforts and followed the rules, then I believe that the mitigation will apply. And while you may face some fines, you will not be looking at. $8.13 million in fines to your organization. And I think there's a lot of evidence uh, to the point that uh, the government, OCR and HHS, are working together with organizations to mitigate these issues and to give you the opportunity to take corrective actions when that happens. So again, I've talked about number three, which is to mitigate the remedies. Um, And I think you can do that through this. So make sure you're documenting everything you do. Make sure you're educating your staff when you do it. And make sure that you have those policies and procedures up to date as a component of your security risk assessment that you do every year. All right. Um, How does it protect a covered entity? Um, I'm not going to read this whole slide to you. I just want you to be aware of what's happening here. Some of these points have already been made. Obviously, incentivization uh, here they're saying reward sound infotech policies and procedures. We've talked about that. You want to reduce lengthy investigations, a longer The investigation takes, I have an organization in Colorado that we work together with, where the investigation lasted over two and a half years. Uh, Now you start to see where that uh, $8.13 million comes from because that's legal fees, consulting fees, third-party organizations coming in that you have to pay, that you have to cover in terms of revenues going out the door in order to rectify the problem that occurred. Um, If we've taken all these steps up front, then all of that disappears. Again, that's the the incentive that you have for following these rules. It can help to prevent a data breach, which is one of the points that they have on this slide as well. Uh, The probability of the data breach happening internally uh, gets closer to zero, and externally you're putting up barriers. You're working together with IT organizations and you're working together with your staff to avoid anybody clicking on something that they shouldn't or opening something that shouldn't be opened. Uh, Today, the phishing is very sophisticated, and I have a slide I'm going to show you on that, where we need to be very, very careful about what we open, what we share with staff. If it doesn't look right, if it doesn't feel right, don't open it. Um, And if it's a nuisance, this is a nuisance I'm very in favor of. Get in the habit of having your IT person whoever that may be, uh, come over and take a look at it first. And if you're not sure, don't open it. If it's if it's if crit- you think it's critical, then c- pick up the phone and call that vendor or call that business partner and say, hey, I got an email from you just now. Did you send it to me? Uh, before I open this, I just want to confirm that it's coming from you because it doesn't look right. Um, and I can tell you that on many occasions, we've had organizations make that call and they're like, no, no. In fact, what happened is they found out that they had been breached or that somebody had gotten... a into a mailing list and was sending out things to their clients. So you might be helping somebody by reaching back to them and say, did this come from you? When they say no, now they need to go do an investigation of that data themselves. So that could be useful to you and to your business partners by doing that. Um, As we go forward, if there's questions about any of these, I'm happy to answer them in the Q&A session, but I think it's pretty self-explanatory. What you want to do is follow the HIPAA security rule here. I stress. To everybody that it begins by doing an annual security risk assessment. Um, sitting down internally and having a discussion with regard to the administrative safeguards, our physical safeguards, and our technical safeguards, um, that we're updating that on an annual basis. Uh, pick a time of year that works best for you. Uh, a lot of our clients who partner with us, and we bring in organizations to do this, um, typically we'll get it done in the beginning of the fourth quarter of every year. So October, November, we see a big spike in everybody getting their security uh, risk assessments completed here at Sphere Inc. I know a lot of my partners who are in this business are usually very busy in the third and fourth quarter of every year. Um, But as long as you're doing it annually, it doesn't matter when you do it. Just do it every year. You submit that paperwork. uh, It could be a component of your MIPS reporting. It could be a component of your cybersecurity insurance Uh, policy that you have with that third-party organization. Uh, I know that there are many groups in the United States right now who are arguing with their insurance carriers that if they've done the security risk assessment, if they've implemented various uh, access and audit controls to protect the data, that possibly there are discounts in the premium uh, available to their organization. So if you haven't had that conversation, if you do have that type of insurance, then showing them that you've taken the steps to implement this SRA and get it completed. You have it on file. It's in your policies and procedures. You're updating all your records. Maybe maybe there's an opportunity for you to save money for your organization by doing that as well. Um, if you're not sure about doing this, and, and I do meet a lot of companies every year who have not done an SRA, then please reach out to Catherine and her team at First Healthcare Compliance or to ourselves at Sphere. And either of our organizations would be happy to point you in the right direction. So how do I qualify for safe harbor mitigation? Um, I just wrote down six things that I thought would be very, very good for you, and you I think I've touched on each of these already. First is get that SRA completed. Uh, second, make sure that you're updating your policies and procedures. Make sure you have policies and procedures would probably be something I should say first. Again, I, I, I chuckle because... Too often, we go into offices where they do not have policies and procedures in place. They haven't done it yet. It's 2022, 2023, and people have not done that. So make sure you have those policies and procedures in place. Make sure they're updated. Make sure they're filled in correctly. So if I open up chapter two, that it doesn't say fill in the blank company, that it has the name of your organization. It has your practice administrator's name in there. it has the dates that you did various education training in your office. And that education doesn't have to be incredibly formal. You can take events that happen within your office and use those as an opportunity to train and educate the staff on different things that you can do to prevent it from happening in the future. You don't have to single out employees and make them look bad as much as you can say, Hey, look, this is a problem that we've had in the past as a team. Let's learn from this and let's make sure that again, We educate ourselves in the position that we don't want it to happen again and again. We want to document everything that we do. So we want to have the policies and procedures in place, but we want to document that we've done the training, that we've educated our staff. We should have our staff signing off on that training in some sense to say that they've annually gone through and been updated on their HIPAA awareness. So that if a patient comes into the office and asks them a HIPAA-specific question, as long as it's not HIPAA science, um, that they can answer that question for them and maybe help them out. Because people hear about HIPAA, but patients don't understand it as much as we do. They might have some unjustified concern that you can help to explain it to them, and that becomes the role of your staff as they educate the patients coming in. Uh, There's too much on the news these days about breaches, and breaches, of course, happen across all industries, not just healthcare, and so it's not uncommon for you to have one or two patients on a monthly basis who's a little sensitive to these issues and might start asking questions. The better you are at answering those questions, the more you can allay those issues for them. Um, And on a gradual basis, make sure that you're improving your security practices. So as the technology improves and becomes less expensive, maybe the opportunity to acquire a piece of technology that seemed expensive five years ago when you implemented your EHR is more cost-effective today it's least worth looking into, talking to those vendors, finding out what we can do, talk to your IT staff and say, hey, what's out there that's open source that might be implemented? What's out there that can be integrated into our system? Talk to your EHR manufacturer and find out, hey, how do you do email encryption? Do you provide email encryption? Do you only use your portal as a way of communicating with your patients? If you have your own email server, how are you protecting that data there? So. Improved security practices within your organization. And then going into this whole issue of mitigating is to demonstrate a long-term commitment. So make sure that you have in your records documented 2023, 2022, 2021, 2020, so on and so forth from the day that you went live with your EHR. And you can go backwards in time and show them that you've incrementally improved your footprint from a cybersecurity perspective, from a data protection perspective. If you do these things and you have an event, then I feel very strongly that you are going to experience the best possible outcome from the safe harbor ruling and from an uh, OCR auditor or some other auditor coming in and looking at your organization and determining where the fault might lie. One way that we do that is by following the NIST cybersecurity framework. Um, I'm not going to go through the framework for you, and I don't think you need to get that deep into it. Again, a third party can help you here. Uh, First Healthcare Compliance can help you here. We can help you uh, in understanding what you need to do. I highlighted on this slide for you what are those key five areas in terms of identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. You know. Um, When you're doing your SRA, this is a good conversation for you to have with that organization that's doing it for you. Um, Again, you'll see I repeat myself in terms of some of my bullet points here and what we need to do. The last two, to me, are very important. When you do your SRA, make sure you're generating a gaps and vulnerability plan, and then make sure you implement an action plan. It's prioritized, and it's something that you can work against over the next 12 months. You don't have to finish everything. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to spend all that money. What you wanna do is, again, show incremental improvements to your framework in terms of how you protect your patient data, whether it's steady-state paper or you know dynamic uh, electronic systems, whether you have your system on-premise or you're in the cloud with your partners out there, um, and understanding what are they doing to protect the data. If you don't know the answer to that question, That's a quick call to your rep to say, hey, look, um, we're filling in some of the blanks on our policies and procedures. There's a few questions we have here with regard to how the data is protected. Um, I don't need to be an IT expert. I would just like a simple explanation of how do A, B, and C occur within your organization because you are effectively an extension of us. So understanding that from them, getting that documented, placed into your policies and procedures is a great way to go. Those are conversations your EHR partners and your other third-party partners are willing to have. And let's not stop short of your medical device organizations that you might have. If it has EPHI embedded in it, that is a conversation you should be having with that rep or that organization to understand how all of those components fit within your framework. Um, And I know it seems tedious and outside of patient care. So hopefully the administrator has the time that you don't have to do it in one day, but hey, this month I'm going to talk to these guys, next month I'm going to talk to these guys. And by the end of the year, I've talked to everybody that's critical to our internal infrastructure, and I know how they protect our data. That's now reflected in my policies and procedures. I mean, that's a home run as far as I'm concerned. I just gave you a different view of how this works uh, from the previous slide. So the core, of course, is that cybersecurity framework. Um, you can break that into tiers, and I'm showing you what those tiers might look like in terms of risk management, in terms of integrated risk management and the programs that you're running, and then external participation, again, speaking to those third-party organizations that you have. And lastly, I show you kind of a, uh, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I check it. Here's how i backed upon it. Here's the plan that I have. And it just goes around and around every year, every month, depending on how you want to work with this. Um, how do we keep this a steady state? conversation with our organization so that we avoid the possibility of any type of a breach occurring, or if it does occur, that we have done everything that we can to mitigate the impact to our business. And I think, again, mitigate is the key word here. Um, how would I realize the safe harbor implementation here? Well, if a violation occurs, I'm not gonna get fined for noncompliance. That's a biggie, because if we take a look at those fines, they are in the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. That is on top of that 8.13 million that IBM Poneman has brought to our attention. So we want to get that mitigated as close to zero as possible. Um, we have a corrective action plan in place so that we understand the breach notification rule. We understand as a team what we're going to do if we think a breach has occurred and we can walk through that process quickly uh, before we reach out to an external organization to say, hey, we've had a breach, right? So what type of data do I have available to me in my office that would allow me to determine if a breach has occurred? And we need to do that quickly, not in a week, not in a month, but in days, right? And last but uh, not least, when a, a HIPAA audit identifies failures to comply with HIPAA, you know, you don't want to be in that situation. So that would prevent us from realizing safe harbor and that's what we're trying to avoid here. So by doing A and B, we can stay away from C. I've given you uh, some ideas here, and it's a bit of an old slide, but I kept it in the deck today, Uh, HR 7898, you can see here, which became the Safe Harbor Law. These were 10 things that I thought were critical to an organization uh, being on top. And I'm not sure that you as the practice manager or the office manager are responsible for all of these, but again, this might be a great conversation for you to have together with your IT partner or your IT staff in your organization. Um, email protection systems. Uh, basically encrypting your email. Uh, if you're using a portal through a third-party organization, understanding how that portal works and how that encryption works. Make sure that your endpoints have been encrypted. That's something that you should be doing as part of your SRA. Knowing what systems you have in your office, and how are they protected from a cybersecurity perspective? Um, Having a conversation with your insurance broker with regard to data protection and loss prevention, right? Uh, Now I talk about access management and then asset management. They are two different things. Uh, Just make sure we differentiate those and I can drill down on that. Your network management. So how is data moving around in my office? And if it moves out of my office, how does it get from point A to point B? So um, this dovetails into the endpoint protection systems. Um, am I encrypting my files? Am I using the secure FTP process in order to move data from A to B? Do I have trusted partners that I'm sending my PHI to? And if so, how do I prove that? Uh, maybe one thing I should add here. Uh, let's make sure that we have signed BAAs and all of our BAAs are up to date with all of our partners that we have contracts with in our office. So. If I were to come and visit you today and I'd say, okay, show me a list of all the vendors that you do business with in this office today, and then show me a corresponding BAA that you have in place with those organizations. We don't want anything to be on a line there. Everybody should be lock and step. So that's a good, quick check that you can make in your office. Uh, Vulnerability management plays into networks. You know, let's make sure we're watching out for bugs, we're watching out for uh trojan horse that gets attached to any environment so we want to make sure that we have some type of software that's been installed that's looking for bugs that's looking for uh, ransomware that might be attached to an email or some attachment uh, we also want to have some type of system or policy in place that allows us to understand what to do in the event of an incident again i want to reiterate go back and look at your medical uh, device security policies too everybody focuses so much on the EHR and EMR as you should, but let's make sure that we don't ignore everything from medical devices down to our copiers and printers. Our copiers and printers tend to be weak points because they actually store PHI. Every copy you make, every scan you do gets held in cache memory and you want to make sure that that's being cleared out at the end of every day. Last but not least, Let's go in and make sure that we're cleaning up our policies, procedures in terms of cybersecurity and how we protect that data. Um, A great resource for everybody to look at. If you want to go online, just type in 405D task group. Um, This organization put together of experts across the industry has just done a fabulous job of raising awareness, but more importantly, providing you with links and information and ideas that would allow you to mitigate the risk of a breach happening within your organization. So I highly suggest you find a few moments in your day, take a look at 405D, understand what they've done. These are really, really cost-effective, if not free, practical ideas that would allow you to improve your footprint within your organization, All right? Best practices here, Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this because now I'm just reiterating what I said before. Be careful when you allow, uh, bring your own device into the office with all the wearables and our iWatches and our iPhones and our Androids and our Google does something. um, Make sure you have a policy on that. Make sure that you talk to employees about that. I think some of those systems should be shut off in their office, in the office, because they have listening capabilities and you are talking about patients. So you should have a policy on BYOD, how you're going to handle that. What's allowed in the office, what isn't allowed in the office, what's allowed in the examining room, and what's not allowed in an examining room. Uh, Enough said on that. So will Safe Harbor protect a covered entity or a business associate from investigations and penalties? No, of course not. Will it mitigate that investigation uh, so that if something bad has occurred, that you will face the minimum fine possible. I think that if you follow the rules and and you go along with the things that I've talked about today, then yes, you can mitigate uh, those penalties to a great degree and put yourself in a position where worst case scenario, you're paying a very small fine. Uh, One organization we worked with was looking at $1.7 million in fines um, through their corrective actions and working together with OCR. At the end of the day, they got their wrist slapped and they paid a $25,000 fine. $25,000 versus 1.7 million. It probably cost them another $25,000 to get everything cleaned up and mitigated. But again, 50K versus 1.7 million, you would do that all day long. Um, I know it sounds like a lot of money up front, but getting it right and then maintaining it on an ongoing basis is much easier uh, than you think. So I've given you some bullet points here, some issues that I think Uh, can help you. Take a look at these. Um, Feel free to use these slides as conversations within your office with your team so that you have a better understanding of what you can do. I wanted to give you an idea of what the threats look like from data breach. So I talk about mitigating it, but what am I mitigating against? So these are some things that you should be on the lookout for within your organization. Uh, I start at the top. The most prevalent these days are phishing attacks. They are typically attached to or come in the form of an email. Even though you might have scam alerts set up and some blocking measures put up on your email, they get in. Um, In the next slide, I believe I'm going to, or two slides away, I'm going to show you some examples of that. But you really need to be diligent in watching for phishing. Uh, Password breaches. I recommend passwords that are longer than 12 characters. Um, There's some really interesting ways that you can do that are easy to remember. You can use multiple passwords. Don't use the same password for every system that you have in the office, and update those every 90 days. We want to watch out for malware. So ransomware is one form of malware, but there's other types of malware that can get into your system. So as we work together with a third-party organization to protect our network and to protect our laptops, we want to make sure that that's a good place we are spending money and implementing solid solutions. Um, if you're interested in who I recommend or what companies we see doing a good job that support healthcare and are very uh, centric in that thinking, then please reach out to me uh, on the side and I'll be happy to share some of those organizations with you that I found doing a very good job. Uh, I'm not paid by them. <laughs> um, ransomware obviously is something we hear a lot about. Um, you know, how do we handle a ransomware event? What do we do to prevent it? That's a whole presentation all by itself. Make sure that you're looking at what your employees are doing. Make sure that you are looking at the back of your PCs to make sure that nobody is installing type of a uh, keystroke uh, recorder or something like that. This happens more often than you can think. There's software that does that too. So we wanna do searches on our network to make sure somebody hasn't installed something like that that is actually capturing uh, passwords as people log in. And then, of course, having physical security measures as part of your SRA throughout the organization. These are the types of breaches that occur. They're the most common that you want to look at. Um, Simple question. Was there a chance patient PHI was exposed, yes or no? The answer, when it's confidential, sensitive, protected health information exposed to an unauthorized person or entity, it's a breach. That's the easiest way for you to determine what defines that data breach, and and how are you going to react to it? So um, that's the question you want to ask yourself when you're concerned. That's the answer you're looking for. All right, so what does a breach look like? Very quickly, uh, keeping an eye on time, it happens on zero day. It comes in through an email. Worst case, it comes in through an employee. Uh, On that day, something gets clicked on, gets opened. There's a bot typically associated with that. And what it does is it impersonates one of the users on your system. They got a hold of their password. They got a hold of their login. It happens all too often. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, and wife leave it laying around at the home. A son, daughter, schoolmate sees it, decides they're going to go in there. I mean, how many of us have kids who are probably smarter with technology today at 13 or 14 years old than we are at 34 or 44 years old? Um, the kids are pretty sharp and, you know, if you tell them don't go in there, the first thing they want to do is go in there and then they might do more damage than you can imagine. So they're going to impersonate whoever that user is. They get in the system within the first five days, if they're truly a bad guy looking to steal your data, they're going to figure out what it is they want to steal. They're going to figure out how to exfiltrate, how to, how to get the data out of your environment. And by the way, you don't know they're there so they can take their time up to 30 days before they do anything. Then they start to x-filter data. So they're going to copy the way the data goes out of your office already. So if you send files that are typically five, six, seven megs in size, they're going to send files that are the same size and look similar. And they don't care if they send a couple hundred of those, your system's not going to notice it. Ultimately, most of the breaches, according to the Poneman Institute, get captured in 362 days. So let's call it a year. It From a Year from when they break in is when most organizations figure out that they've been in. And by the way, 90% of those uh, identifications come from an external third party who is doing something and identified the fact that, oh, by the way, your system was compromised, somebody stole your data. And then you start to do all of the, the deep dive to figure out exactly what happened. And here's the worst part of it, in my opinion. You now have somewhere between 50 and 60 days to start the remediation process. Um, They had a year, you have a month or two months max. Uh, It's not very fair, but you definitely uh, can do things to prevent this from happening. And that's really the whole point of this is by following the safe harbor law, uh, by putting in systems and policies and procedures to protect your data, you can avoid this scenario. Um, I promised you a couple of examples of uh, phishing emails. These are from my email. So I've obviously changed a few things to just kind of protect myself here. But um, yes, I'm an Amazon customer. I use Squarespace Space for my website. And I do watch Netflix. All of these came to me uh, within my email. Uh, and I tried to point out a few things that I caught really quick that uh, made me suspicious. One is Amazon with two N's. They had your your website here, sphereinc.com. But when I put my cursor over that this was perfect by the way, this was an exact replica of what Squarespace would send to me. When I put the cursor over to sphereink.com, it went to someplace in Romania. So, you know, putting your cursor over a link and looking down in the lower left corner to see where it's actually going, is one way for you to very quickly identify whether or not this is real or not real. And while you wanna trust all your business partners, the bad guys are really good at doing what they do. So take the moment, to look first. Don't click first, right? And then the Netflix example here was also the click here was another one that went somewhere other place. And why would I do that? I'm already set up for automatic payment. I would call them first. So how do I manage that breach? I gave you some ideas here in terms of contacting the police. Make sure that you go through the breach notification rule that you work very quickly with your external resources and your internal resources to contain the breach and lock things down. At the end of the day, walk over to the internet and shut it off. If you think that you're compromised, just unplug it. That's a pretty quick way to stop everything from happening. right? And then bring everybody in and do your remediation from there. We want to establish a security culture. And we do that by taking example of apps, software, passwords, two-factor authentication, security risk assessment, user training, and, of course, again, I want to emphasize that with IoT, the Internet of Things, wearables, we need to be uh, aware of that and limit your exposure to that because that could lead to a breach. Um, We want to protect our patients. This is when it really matters. Remember, at the end of the day, we're healthcare organizations. We're trying to provide patient care. So when this gentleman went to the hospital for whatever he had done, you know, the, he's at his most vulnerable. We want to protect him then. We want him to come and leave and not be worried about his digital identity. Uh, his dignity is a different issue here in this picture, but let's protect them when they're with us. All right. Uh, last but not least, very quickly, my organization, Sphere, as Catherine introduced at the beginning. We're in the business of providing compliance analytics and helping you to identify if and when somebody comes into your system that doesn't belong, or if one of your users within your system does something that they shouldn't. So we audit your system on a daily basis. We alert you to any abnormalities that are occurring because we create a behavioral map of everybody who has access to your PHI in all of your systems. And then we report to you or allow you to build and design reports so that if you have to provide something to a third party, to a lawyer, to some legal group, that you can do that using Sphere. So, effectively, what Sphere is doing is documenting 24 7, 365 of the activity that happens within your office and makes that available to you on a minute's notice. So, what our application looks like, that's what we do. Uh, again, this is not a sales presentation. So, in closing, the safe harbor law, uh, the intention here is to limit your exposure to a breach by allowing you to implement information security policies procedures that will mitigate and and incentivize you to implement those solutions and therefore mitigate any penalties that might occur if a breach does occur. Uh, The good practices are things that you want to follow. I know I've thrown a lot about at you in the last 15 minutes. I hope it's helpful. Uh, And I guess with that, I want to welcome any questions that you have. And uh, Catherine, thanks again for allowing me to present.
0: Great. Thank you so much. That's a very interesting and very practical as your title suggests presentation so wanted to thank you so much for coming on today and presenting this for our attendees and so thank you so much
1: happy to do that thank you so much for having me
0: so we do have a few questions and so our first one is concerning standards of security if any should we be using what should we be using as a guide for example does hhs do they provide a guidebook what do you suggest
1: yeah i what i suggest is one uh i think i had two slides uh, in the middle of the presentation um i think a great starting point is nist uh for those of you who don't know what nist is or what it stands for it's the National Institute of Science and Technology. I'm just clicking on that slide real quick here. Um, and basically what they do is they provide a security framework for many industries, not just the healthcare industry. Uh, and what I've recommended to organizations is if you take a look at NIST and the five key areas that they identify, and then you put that together with the recommendations coming from the 405D task force, then I think that that is a blueprint that you can start going down towards protecting your organization without making mistakes or spending money where you don't need to spend money. Does that make sense, Catherine?
0: It does, it does. So, so we should look for at NIST first and then I would look at it also... Edit,
1: combine, and combine that with a quick view at HHS uh, 405D. Uh, if you go to their website, take a look at the information they have there. That is going to give you what you need to start to put together a plan for your office,
0: okay, okay, great. All right, so our next question, if you had to name perhaps three security practices from from a I think you had a list, let's see what do you see as being the most important for us to to use today?
1: Ah. I guess they're probably talking about this one that I had up here—the recognized security practices. Ha! Huh, three that I think would be the most important. Um, so, I guess I'm—I'm I'm biased, right? <laughs> um,
0: well, you, you probably—I know, I mean, well, you would know the best, right? Because you deal with this every single day, right?
1: Uh, and I always try to be careful by saying I know the best, right? Um, I, I know <laughs> something. A little bit of knowledge is dangerous. Uh, look, I think I think protecting your email is extremely important. It is probably the one thing that everybody listening today uses and probably uses almost from the minute they get up until just before they go to bed. They're accessing email, they're looking at messages, they're opening emails from third parties. Some of them are unknown third parties. So having email protection on your devices, especially devices that handle PHI, to me is extremely important. Two, access management. Knowing who's coming into my system and who is accessing the PHI and are they accessing that information for the purpose of providing care to our patients would be equally important to me, right? Uh, The last thing, uh, if I look at this, I would say is going to be having good cybersecurity policies. Um, so that's that's more of a, not a technical thing. So email, access management, and cybersecurity policies. Educating my staff on what to do, what to look for. If they see something that seems suspicious, just teaching them not to click on it, not to open it, to ask questions first can save us millions of dollars. So if I broke down those 10 to three that I feel are important and and a different person might give you three different answers, those would be the three I would pick off the top of my head.
0: So when you say cybersecurity policies, what were you saying again about cybersecurity policies, making sure your staff knows exactly what to do in in each situation?
1: Right. It's it's one thing to write it down on a piece of paper and stick it in a book. It's another thing to actually educate your staff on it so that they understand it, right? And so, what I guess I'm saying, if I didn't say that correctly, is don't just have a policy, educate your staff on that policy and make sure that they understand it, that they're able to ask you questions. Or you bring in an expert and have that expert answer questions for them on why are we doing these things, or hey, it makes it difficult for me to do my job because you implemented this policy, and explain to them why that's important to the practice and why it's important to the patients that we're trying to protect. Right.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. This actually might be kind of similar, but what should I be worried about the most today?
1: Uh, wow, that's that's such a broad question. The most today right. that I'm worried about is probably phishing emails. That's probably the most. Uh, tied with that on my list is uh, the rogue employee. So 70%, again, I'll go back to the Poneman report that I spoke about in my presentation. Ponem and IBM have identified that 70% of the breaches that occurred in the United States uh, over the past five years have been from rogue employees in an organization. Uh, the motivations for those actions are cover the spectrum of problems from financial loss to uh, just outright got themselves in a bad position, gambling, whatever the case, but they identified an opportunity to take some of your data and extract that data and sell it to somebody else as part of a transaction. So to me, that's a huge risk because it's hard to monitor that. It's hard to know. And it's very difficult as human beings to stop trusting somebody that you've worked with. So what you want to do is you want to have systems and policies and procedures in place that uh, have no bias, that um, only look at black and white situation and determine whether or not the actions that somebody has taken are appropriate for their roles and responsibilities and appropriate for the job that they're doing in your organization. Uh, if you have those things, then, then you can sit down with an employee. And if you're wrong and they can explain to you why they're wrong, no harm done. But the bigger harm is if there is a real breach and you identify it, being able to rectify that and remediate it quickly. So um, you have to weigh the, the pros and cons of doing that. That's my answer
0: when you're talking about phishing emails i you probably look at this a lot more as far as where they're coming from yep. with phishing emails do you think that they're are they coming more from from organizations like either organizations as far as you know either foreign entities or from criminal organizations and working as like employers, you know, there's there's a head person and then they have like people working for them and then they're sending out, you know, tons or are they, or are there like lots of individual people, like 15 year olds out there working, you know, trying to like, you know, make some dough and hoping for that somebody will fall for something or, or what are your, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Or what are, what do the stats say about what they think people are doing? as far as these fishing emails. Clearly
1: you understand the issue because your examples are all really good examples. So um, I can share with you a couple of my own personal observations. I think I told you before, Catherine, I lived in China for two and a half years. And uh, while I was there, uh, and this was in the midst of the explosion of the internet, uh, you know, between 2005 and 2010, um, I had an opportunity to visit a couple of sites Uh, where there were thousands of employees who were working in these warehouses, and what they were doing was hacking. They were paid to sit down and to hack into various systems using bots, using phishing mechanisms, using uh, third-party software in order to break into the systems. Uh, Why I was allowed to go there and why I was there uh, would be a different story, but I, I saw that, and then it was explained to me that these type of sites exist not only in China, but in a number of other third world uh, countries including Africa, Europe and even unfortunately here in the United States or in South America. So it's not one nation's nation state sponsored attempt, but it could be a private industry, it could be for somebody, it's a business. That's what's scary. How do they target you? Well, I put that slide up again. They can they get third party data, you know, um, I always tell people if you're on Facebook or some social media Don't answer your friend's quizzes about who is your favorite teacher in the fifth grade or what was the name of the street you lived on when you were growing up, because unfortunately, nine times out of 10, those are hints to the types of security passwords that you use. These companies are the ones sponsoring those social media trivia contests. They gather that data. They now have your email. They have some answers from you. They know that your proclivity is to answer those questions, and they start to put a behavioral map Together, And then what they do is they target you with an Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or they know somehow they figured out you're an Anthem customer or um, you're using Cigna or whatever the case may be, Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T. The probability that you're using one of those three uh, mobile companies is pretty high. Um, I keep getting this one on my phone for a PayPal. I don't use PayPal but I'm getting emails and text messages saying that my PayPal account has been compromised. Please log in to correct it right away. Well, that's pretty obvious. Somebody's got bad information, but they got my phone number. Now, that's pretty easy for them to get my phone number, but they keep sending me these messages, and I just laugh at it, and I delete it, Um, and I've tried to teach myself to be very diligent to anything that I'm not expecting, and I have a pretty good idea of what I have set up in terms of my automatic payments. I don't trust anybody, I'm I'm terrible. Uh, but what I'm doing is I'm looking at all of this data and I'm just naturally suspicious. Sounds terrible to be that way. To answer your question, I think it's more external than it is internal. I think it is organized by very large groups. And this is a way, if it wasn't working, if they weren't able to get what they were looking for, they wouldn't be doing it. So the bad, the bad news is, is that it's an effective way for them to reach out to people and to steal data. And sometimes the money.
0: So after they send out the, the bots, then once they get somebody who actually responds, then do they put like a live person onto it? They might to start interacting and with
1: the person. I am aware. I am aware from my conversations with the FBI that they will have call centers that are set up to impersonate whatever it is. And I mean, they're good. They're, they're probably better than the call centers that you and I have interacted with. Um, on top right. of that, there, When you click on that, what you're probably doing is installing some type of a bot and that bot yeah. now is embedded itself into your phone or into your PC. And that's going to provide a conduit for them to start accessing information in your email, your contact lists, and potentially getting access to all your passwords that are stored on your device, Yikes! which means if okay. you do your online banking, now they're into your banking system. Oof. As an example.
0: Right. Okay. Well, on that um, cheerful note, I think we probably are <laughs> just about out of time. So. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm the purveyor of bad news, aren't I? Uh, I know. <laughs> my, my so apology. I think that
0: we- Actually, but hold on just a minute before we um, close everything up. I, we have to say goodbye to everyone. So I wanted to thank you so much again for being here. Did you have any actual final thoughts before we before we totally wrap up?
1: Well, of course, I want to say thank you to everybody for taking the time to listen and, and with Catherine and myself. And two is, you know, please don't be afraid of the answers that I just gave Catherine or the information that I presented. It's not hard. Take it one step at a time. You've probably done better than you think you've done, but sitting down and just having a conversation with somebody within your organization and, and reaffirming that you have done the right things and that you have a plan that you're working towards is the first step towards protecting your data. And I just recommend everybody do that.
0: Great advice. So, Ray, I wanted to thank you again so much for being here, attendees. Please use the contact information that Ray has generously provided there on this screen. Ray is a great guy. Fear Inc. is a wonderful organization. I hear all the time. If you have any questions for Ray, please reach out to him. Please reach out to us. We'll forward them on to him. Please remember your paycom and your PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you within two days following our broadcast. There's no need to request it. You can re- register for any future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778 and I wanted to thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you.